Welcome to Rough Drafts, How God Writes His Love in Our Stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell, and in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They are just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. So today's podcast episode is one that I feel like I should get to brag about to the people who were mean to me in middle school because <laughs> I am sitting across the desk from a like, cheerleading national champion wow. and Miss America, Miss Ohio, Miss Bucks Nord. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> where it was, but I'm wow. sitting in the same room with someone that I never thought I'd get to sit with. This is going to be pretty cool. Welcome, Miss Brittany Watson. <laughs> Thank you. I okay. thought you were going to set like standards super low, so now I feel like, you know, there's a lot to explain here. Well, yeah, and you've got some stories you have to tell now, I guess. <laughs> you know, they say that low expectations are the secret to happiness. Okay. So I just try to make sure people know I'm kind of horrible <laughs> most of the time, and then they might like me better. Oh, gracious. This well, should be fun. Well, you know, uh, we've been worshiping together for a few years now, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. If you've been listening to the podcast, uh, we've heard from your daughter already, and she is amazing and smart and eloquent and a little frightening how cool she was. (laughs) Um, Your husband's really cool, and uh, I've met your parents. Your Uh father-in-law is is your Uh father-in-law, Steve. Everybody knows Steve. Uh, He gives us the encouragement every Sunday of not blowing it on the Mm -hmm. way into church, which is uh, super helpful. Yeah. so I bet you've got They're some amazing. stories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, so I guess I didn't grow up in Dixon County, which a lot of people here in Burns have. So I think it kind of makes sense to kind of back up and describe where I grew up and sort of the people that raised me since, you know, I'm not from this area. And um, actually, we moved to Burns in 2020. So we haven't really been here that long either. Did y'all get here before COVID or during? It was December 2020. So, okay. yeah. Okay. Sort of in the middle. I don't yeah. remember. Um, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So we were in person when we when we joined. I think it was okay. March. Yeah. March is when all mm-hmm. that started. So I have a buddy whose first Sunday for a church was the first Sunday that everything shut down. Oh, and I gave him a hard wow. time because I said the only reason he still had a job was the church didn't have to meet him for eight weeks. You know? <laughs> but <clears throat> so you you guys landed here in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even before that, so I grew up in <clears throat> Ohio. Um, and it's funny because the place I grew up in is not even considered a town. It's really considered a village. So the village of Chesapeake, Ohio, is where I grew up, and it is the very southern tip of Ohio, a very, a very rural area. Um, it borders the Ohio River beside Huntington, West Virginia. So Huntington was kind of like the place that's where Marshall University is, if you're familiar with that. Um, that's kind of where all the hospitals and like the bigger town near us was. So um, the, the town, though, I grew up in and 
you know, everybody knew everybody. My parents grew up there. My grandparents grew up there. Um, it's, you know, I went through the public school system there, like kindergarten through 12th grade. The kids I met in kindergarten were the same people I was graduating high school with. So not a lot of, you know, change. It was very, it was a great community, honestly. As an adult, I think I appreciate it more because I see, you know, how special of a place it was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it wasn't just my parents raising me. It was their friends and, you know, my parents, um, friends, grandparents. It was just, it was a community and everybody kind of knew your business and everybody knew what you were doing. So that sort of <laughs> would keep you in check as well. Um, that is wonderful and terrible. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I feel like as a young person, though, that's a good thing. Um, yeah. So I just had great coaches, um, great teachers, just a lot of support in that community growing up. Um, and so my parents, they, I'm an only child. I don't know if you knew that. Did not. Okay. So um, my parents both raised me together um, and my dad worked in the trades. So he um, worked in commercial construction as an insulator and then my mom worked in the union hall that my dad worked in as an office manager for like 20 oh, cool. plus years yeah so i think they instilled in me just work ethic you know yeah. what it looked like to work hard um they just i always knew love like unconditional love from them you know obviously as an only child there's a lot of pressure with that but it's it's also um, you know, it was just always about me. So, <laughs> well, as it should be. <laughs> you, you've explained <laughs> this to explain Ben, a, right? Yeah, that'll okay. explain a lot later. My okay. Story. Um, but and and then so because they worked, my grandmother, I would stay with her a lot in the summer, and so she lived next door to us, and so she always made sure that you know we had a home cooked meal every night. Um, she just really was nurturing. I would say she was an old school Church of Christ lady um, who also kept everybody in line. Um, but, you know, she's still with us and still lives next to my parents in that town. So that's, that's you know, cool. kind of the backdrop. Yeah. Um, so with that, like I grew up in the church. I grew up Church of Christ. I went to Norway Avenue Church of Christ, which was in Huntington, kind of, you know, we had a decent size membership. I'd say 200 to 300 members. So I was always involved in the youth group. I did mission trips, um, FCA. You know, I knew what it looked like to be a part of a strong, you know, church community growing up. Yeah. After high school, um, when I graduated high school, high school, I went to Lipscomb University. So um, I didn't really know anyone, and I don't think I cared at that point. Like <laughs> I was. 18, I was ready to kind of get out of that small town. And I had a few people in my youth group that had gone there um, and and loved it. So I left for Nashville. And I think, you know, during that time, and as a young person, I didn't realize like what that transition would look like. You know, I had, like I said, I'd always known everyone I grew up with. I hadn't really established like new friendships or um, been to, you know, even a big city where I didn't know hardly yeah, anyone. And that's I, a big move. It, it was. And I would say it wasn't an easy launch at all. And yeah. I struggled through it. Um, 
I think that's the first time, too, that I really felt like church was a requirement. Okay. Um, and, you know, it all it had always been, you know, strongly suggested that I be a part of, of church and, you know, but it was never like forced on me. It was just what you did. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, you know, back then there were so many rules and I just couldn't figure out like how that was going to help me get closer to God. Yeah. Um, and it did very much in my 18 year old mind feel like it it was being forced. And so that didn't kind of sit well on top of just being away from family. I mean, I was five and a half hours away from, you know, the people that love me and, and kind of knew these struggles I was having. And I quite frankly, just found my way into the party crowd Yeah, and that didn't work out well either. Okay. <laughs> Um, I was there for three semesters and I think my parents had then caught on and said, Hey, you you need to move back home. Yeah. This ain't working. This ain't working. (laughs) Um, and it wasn't. And so that was a very humbling experience in and of itself to, you know, be 19 years old, moving back in with your parents. And I actually did a semester to finish out my sophomore year at Marshall university there. And so I was home. Um, I just kind of loaded up on classes and made up for, you know, the time I spent having fun yeah. for those <laughs> for those years here. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I finished out that sophomore year, I always wanted to go to Ohio State. And so I applied there and was accepted. Um, but even before that, when I was at Marshall, I had an awesome professor that um, taught economics. And so before then, I didn't really have a lot of direction, like what I was going to major in or what I wanted to do. And so, you know, when I applied to Ohio State, I got, you know, into the business school, which was competitive in economics. And that's really, I think it was a good, a good change for me. Um, So I moved to Columbus, which is a pretty big city not a lot of people know that <laughs> so just, it's it's in ohio <laughs> exactly it's like if it's not cincinnati or cleveland it, it kind of gets missed and yeah. skipped over um so that was good i i felt like i was kind of thriving there i was happy with school i had a great internship opportunity so i actually got to intern in the governor's office oh cool um the ohio governor at that time was bob taft and his grandfather was president Taft. So it, it just, it was really cool how I, I felt like I was finding kind of my way. Yeah. And so um, I got really good at taking notes, which sounds like it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. No, I, I got really good, skilled at listening and taking notes. And um, during that time, too, in that in that internship which we'll get into this later, but part of my job was reviewing grant applications from nonprofits looking for funding. Okay. And so I would screen those grant applications and make sure that they were meeting the state's eligibility requirements before they could be passed on, you know, to other people to kind That's of evaluate. The pretty grant. significant job for you. Yeah. I mean, for as an intern, yeah, yeah. I was impressed that they let me do that. Yeah. I, like when I hear intern in the governor's office, I kind of assume like you're giving tours and getting yeah. coffee. Yeah. 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 I know. I was, I, I was shocked. Um, so I got to do that. That's the same year that I also was in a pageant. And um, I had done 
pageants previously, like in middle school, like eighth grade, and then a little in high school. And so um, I actually won a Miss Ohio pageant that year. So I just had a lot of responsibility. And so that was kind of approaching my senior year of college. You know, I was in business school. I was interning. I, you know, had this title that required a lot of me just in appearances and public speaking and a lot of that. So um, it all seemed like it was good, but there was a lot happening kind of underneath. And so I would say during that time, I did not have, you know, church wasn't a part of my life. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I think I was so self-reliant and I, I frankly, I, I hate saying this, but I, I didn't need God at that point in my life. I Everything just, else was going fine. Right. You were in charge of your career. You were in charge of college. You were making good decisions. What you need him for? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which that also doesn't turn out well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you would be willing to just say it for what it is, because that line of thinking, I think. Almost everybody has that line of thinking, but not everybody has the ability to recognize that that's what the line of thinking Mm -hmm. was and that it doesn't end well. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, um, you know, I my roommate at the time, she was Jewish and grew up Jewish. You know, I had friends that were Catholic. And so I would kind of bounce around and it wasn't like I ever doubted, you know, my belief system or, you know, was exploring other things. But I just really felt like I was okay doing it on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, so after I graduated, I ended up, um, so I graduated college in 2007. That was the time that the recession had hit. And yeah. so jobs were very difficult to find. Um, but I got, again, very lucky in getting an opportunity um, to work in a corporate job. So Nationwide Insurance is headquartered in Columbus, which is a very big employer there, um, similar to like Bridgestone in Nashville. So landing that job was just huge for me. And um, it really, I think, was because of my experience with kind of the bid and the grant process. So in the corporate world, you know, it's it's kind of similar, but you submit what is called a proposal instead. So, you know, you still have to contract with employer groups. And so I had that experience and I kind of really fell into place nicely there, but again, just required a lot of time. I was in that job, you know, two or three years when I decided to go back to school and get my MBA. And so I was just running the corporate rap race Mm -hmm. and just everything was about achievement, was about income, was, you know, it just, I was seeking acceptance from you know, and all these things were good, you know. Yeah, you weren't a heroin dealer. Right. Yeah. So it was, I didn't at the time see how that could ever be bad. Yeah. Again, man, what a sentence because the pursuit of good things, how could that ever be bad? Yeah. You're about to tell us, I think. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm about to drop it. Yeah. Here we go. Um, so during that time, I was probably in my late 20s. Um, I had been in a long term relationship for about eight years. And it ended just kind of abruptly. I was blindsided by some of the things that had been going on. And so um, that was really hard to cope with. And I think 
leading up to that, I probably used work as an escape from mm-hmm. some of the realities that, that were going on and, yeah. you know, my relationships with people. And so, um, you know, I kind of neglected some things and I just had this breaking point of, wow, the, I, I just, I don't, it was just this point of desperation almost. Like I felt so alone. I felt, um, you know, betrayed. I felt all of these things. And I look around and I'm like, wow, I don't really have anywhere to turn because I did so well at hiding it. You know, mm-hmm. I th- I had so much pride wrapped up in my accomplishments that I didn't want to burden people with, oh, I'm not, actually, I'm not doing okay. So I kind of put on this front for a while, like, I was just afraid to kind of deal with the mess and things going on. And so, you know, I've always been really close with my mom and close friends, but it's just I couldn't have them kind of carry that burden or weight of of what was going on. Yeah. And so for a while, I think I just sort of hid from some of those things. And eventually, I just remember having this um, this night where I just went to God in prayer and was like, laying on the floor just like please help me I'm completely alone in this moment and like I need you now I and and God had you know I would pray during those years but God was always distant because I didn't have a personal relationship Hmm. and so um during that time before I had had a neighbor who lived directly across the street from me at the time and she would always text me about her church and like going to church and just kind of relentless, honestly, like almost <laughs> to the point where it got on my nerves. Like, yeah, Holly, I'm going to have to go. Um, but I, and you know, I finally I gave in. I was like, okay, I'll go. But I think the reason that for so long I said no was I just didn't want to deal with the mess it was going to cause. And, and I, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Um, I knew I had been around church enough to know that when I made that decision, it was going to completely wreck me. Mm. Like it was going to be this unraveling and this, like I was going to have to tear down all those walls. And I was so self-reliant. It was hard. And finally though, you know, after that prayer and after that point of just, this is not working, this has got to get better. Um, I started going to church with her and then even better, um, I started to, through that church, join a women's small group study. Mm-hmm. And so that was really a turning point for me because it, you know, it wasn't a large group, but I could kind of share my story and listen to other people share their stories. And it just became freeing, you know, to know that we're not meant to walk alone and we're not meant to have these struggles. Like we should be in community. And yeah. so that just seeing that and having that friendship, that Christian friendship was new in my adult life. Um, and so she, my friend, she, during that kind of season would, and I still remember this and that's why I want to talk about it. She wouldn't just text me and say, Hey, you know, I'm praying for you. It was like, here's my prayer for you this morning. And she would type out the entire prayer, you know, in her Mm. conversation with God. And she would challenge me on just tough questions like, you know, 
things you didn't want to talk about. Yeah. It wasn't surface level stuff. Yeah. And she dug in deep and didn't didn't just pretend that nothing was there to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And so I knew God sent her, you know, to me to kind of walk through that. And um, so I was part of that lady's study in that group for, I'd say, about a year. And then I really started to get in a healthier place and think, what am I doing in Ohio? <laughs> <laughs> so I I remember it was one winter and it was like you would shovel the the driveway and then the, it just would never melt. Like it just kept piling Getting up. Getting taller and taller. Yeah, taller and yeah. taller. I was like, I can't. And so at that point, I was working for a company out of California. So I was fully remote. I could live anywhere. And so I thought, you know, I think the best thing is just to kind of start fresh somewhere yeah. um, and kind of start just the the next chapter. And so I, because I had known people in Nashville and, and through Lipscomb, I had a friend that re- had reached out to her and I just said, hey, thinking about visiting Nashville, um, you know, it's kind of one of the only other places I knew and, yeah. and lived before. So I, I came to visit. And so that was 2014. And I ended up moving here. So um, I felt like this time around I was in a better place. I was yeah. definitely more mature. Um, was more established. But I knew, though, and through the work, you know, that I had done before I left in that group that I needed to get plugged in. So I was renting in Green Hills, and I actually was visiting Cross Point in downtown Nashville. And so I found a ladies group through that. Yeah. Um, and I also was working with a Christian counselor and, you know, had therapy I was working through just a lot of things that I had avoided for eight years. Yeah. And that was extremely helpful. I feel like I was finally able to kind of shed some of the things that, you know, from my past that I wasn't proud of and kind of move on, forgive myself, forgive others that, you know, I had been holding on resentment towards. And so that was, that was hard work, um, but it was necessary. Mm. And so during that time is also when I met Ben. And so, you know, I knew at that point, like he was a catch, (laughs) but I also knew I was a mess, right? I was, and I told him, I was like, I'm, you don't want any part of this. Like, I am working through this stuff. Like, I can't really take on this relationship because I'm still trying to process things that had happened previously. And, you know, he was like, it's, you know, it's fine. I understand. Like, I'll I'll be here if, if and when you're ready. And, yeah. and he was. And so um, once we start, you know, after that, we not long after that, we started dating and then we were married and then. A year after we were married, almost to the day we have our first daughter. So, I mean, that was pretty quick, too. Yeah. um, You know, here I am. I'm married. I have a baby. And that, I remember we were working with a premarital counselor before we got married. And he told us his advice was like, whatever you do in your first year of marriage, don't make any, you know, major life changes. You know, and here we have a dog, a baby, a new house, like... We were so you really listened to that part. All of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good because most of what premarital counseling says is garbage anyway. You know? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he probably had a point there. So that just felt kind of accelerated in and of itself. But um, so I will say the transition into motherhood 
terrified me. Mm. Um, I, having grown up as an only child, I just, I was never around babies. Yeah. Um, I was always around adults. You know, I didn't have this huge family where there were kids around all the time. You weren't always the babysitter. No, never. And I, I remember I hadn't even changed a diaper. Like yeah. that's how far removed I was from it. And I remember getting ready to go on maternity leave and just closing my laptop and just bawling. Like, yeah. I was completely terrified. Like, okay, I'm going to have this baby and I don't even know what I'm doing. And just a lot of insecurity, I think, during that. So I would say the first year um, was was a transition phase for us. Um, and then we figured it out. But you know how it is. Oh, you have it all figured out now? That's really yeah. cool. <laughs> would, would you write a book? <laughs> yeah. Well, after the, we figured out how to sleep, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, that <laughs> once you get sleep, it kind of changes everything. So, you know, that is kind of the most important thing of yeah. keeping a child alive and keeping each other alive. And <laughs> yeah. I remember at one point the pediatrician said, you might just need to turn off the monitor for a little while. Yeah. Once you're sure that. You know, yeah. the kid is safe and full and clean. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can just cry for a little while every once in a while. And that was kind of like, oh, that was yeah. a game changer when the pediatrician said that. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we, yeah, we needed that advice for sure. Um, but I had, you know, we had our in, my in-laws here mm-hmm. in town. And so that really, I think that's when I started to develop relationship with Jane and just how rich that was you know she is yeah she is an awesome Nana and just taught me like everything I needed to know about raising a baby and what that meant you know how important it is and so um yeah it was it was a we were both kind of getting used to each other getting used to being new parents and so I think after a year we kind of started to settle in a bit more um and you know, just adjusting to married life and, and, and having her. But I would say, um, so during that time, we we're living in Franklin, uh, Bellevue area. And then as I had mentioned at the start of the podcast, we moved to Burns. Um, but right before that, so in 2019, I found out I was pregnant again with our second daughter. Um, and I had her March 23rd, 2020. <laughs> so I think that's exactly when the world shut down. It pretty much was. Yeah. yeah. And so that was that was scary. It was scary having a baby. During that time, I remember um, checking. My doctor had recommended that I have an induction just based on hospital regulations and everything that was going on. And so we were checking in the hospital and... They had people in the front, like in the hazmat suits. Yeah. And just, I remember being so terrified. Like, what if Ben has a fever? And what if I'm in here alone, like having this baby? And it was just, it was so sad because I thought all the joy that a new life brings in here, you're, you know, you don't get to fully experience that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of families who got robbed in that, Mm -hmm. in that time. And I'm not, not even criticizing because I think, you know, people did what they thought was best and, you know, and. In hindsight, you can have different decisions, but in the moment, if you don't know what you're dealing with, yeah. I get why we did what we did, but right. man, that was tough. Yeah, it was. I remember one time we had a uh, just a checkup pediatrician thing, and you know how you have to do all those forms on the tablets now? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, 
And I had both kids at the same appointment because we just tried to do that to make life easier. And it was the COVID questions at the beginning, and I answered one of them wrong. Yeah. And, you know, then they're like, you can't be here. You can't be here. <laughs> yeah. what, what, uh, no, Go I mean, we're fine. Car. Like, you know, and yeah. it took a minute till I convinced them that we had, answered it. you know, like I just clicked the wrong thing because this is the second time I've read these same stupid questions. You yeah, know, just, yeah. Ugh. I know it. It. Yeah. And so, you know, how often you have with a newborn, those check ins. And so all of it was just really difficult to navigate. And um. But I think it also, it was scary, especially having a newborn, but it was also, she was so much light, like, and so much joy. And so, you know, with a newborn, you're going to be staying home anyway. And, you know, nobody else is out doing that. So it also was, was sort of a good time to have a baby and just kind of, you know, we're all together and we were home and we can enjoy her. And so, um... You know, it it was a it was an interesting time, but I think during that I was just wrestling with whether or not to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, thankfully, I had a a long you know paid maternity leave to kind of figure it out. But I just began like praying and really looking for you know God to lead us through this time. I you know my employer at that time said. I was I was actually working in downtown Nashville, but, um, you know, they said, hey, we're probably going to be hybrid or, you know, fully remote, at least for a year. Figure it out. Yeah. And I'm like, how can you work with a newborn and a toddler? Like, that's not (laughs) that was not going to work. So I I just there really wasn't a way that I felt. And I I did. I felt this kind of nudge like I need to prioritize my family. You know, I've I've got this time. you know, it it just was this kind of call that I needed to step away from it. Yeah. And selfishly, that was really hard. Yeah. And it wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but I was obedient in that. And um, I think God walked me through it. And so I didn't realize at that point when I had, you know, notified them that I wasn't returning how much identity I put in my profession mm-hmm. and my income and all the accolades and again the achievement the achievement you know, mm-hmm. I'm an Enneagram one so okay. I don't know yep. if you, so it probably explains a lot and so I just felt like being at home with children I was giving you know at that time of mine I was giving up so much all the things that made you you right yeah and that felt felt scary, but it also felt like it wasn't enough um, until I really, you know, I had I had a lot more time, which sounds silly with two young kids, but I had time to kind of get into scripture and the word and I had time to, to focus. And so during that time, we were um, at a church in Brentwood that we were members at and they did a, a um, the ladies there did a a Zoom Bible class on Christy McClellan's study on Jesus and women. So that was kind of the first time that I really got back into scripture and studying. I mean, I, you know, I did it before, but not like on my own time, really had an hour to devote every day to kind of sit in that and prayer and just learning all over again. Mm -hmm. And so in that study, um, one of the things, one of the key emphasis was, 
how, you know, it was sort of this Western view versus Eastern view and how we in the Western world tend to read scripture and digest it for things that will tell us more about ourselves. Like, how do I see myself in the story of David? Yeah. How do I see myself, you know, running like Jonah did? So, and I always did that like yeah. in my mind. I, I just, that was my default. And so in, in her study, it was more like, we need to look at this. Like, what does this tell us about who God is? Yes. The Bible's not about you. It's about God. Exactly. I had a professor who, when he said that, I was like, that is the smartest thing I've ever heard. How did I miss this forever? Right. And then, you know, my sort of immature walk, it, I just, I never thought that way. So then I was just trying to absorb everything and look at everything differently. And so... You know, I did that study and then I did another one. And then it was all like I was listening to sermons and podcasts and um, just trying to just learn and look at, okay, I'm having this identity crisis anyway. <laughs> like, who yeah. does God say I am? Yeah. Like, let's put some weight in that now yeah. because this other stuff has not been working. Yeah. So um, I, I think another thing that really taught me a lot during that time as well was because COVID was still going on, um, my oldest was about to be in kindergarten. And so I just wanted her to have a normal school experience, like mm -hmm. a normal kindergarten, right? I didn't want her to start and then school shut down and then we're back in, you know, virtual. Back and forth and back and forth. And yeah. So I chose that year to homeschool her mm -hmm. and just, you know, let's have a steady rhythm, a pace, let's let's make this feel as normal as we can. And so the curriculum that I chose was called The Good and the Beautiful. But it's all about like looking at God as, you know, like his craftsmanship and just creation as a whole. Like everything she learned had this um, parallel to what it looks like to you know, look at it from God as a creator. And so all the applications of that, like it, you know, instead of just reading about things in a book, we were outside and we were taking, you know, it all in. And I remember we had this day at Cheekwood. So one of my things is, you know, my stay at home mom was we're going to get Cheekwood pass. So yeah. we would go there a lot actually, and just, you know, do our studies there. And I just remember being, you know, on a hill and we had set up our picnic and had our peanut butter and jellies and I had my kids there. And I just remember like in that moment thinking, this was God's plan for me. Yeah. This is that moment. Like this is that fullness, you know, that you read about like this. And had I chosen that moment for myself, never, you know, that was never part of my plan that I would have, you know, I reluctantly got there, but I just felt like it was all God and him bringing me to that moment and how much, you know, I enjoyed it. Your plan, you would have been looking out the window at work mm -hmm. over a laptop that day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I also kind of, you know, as I was caring for my family and, you know, sort of in a better place in my walk with God, I felt like, okay, what about all these other children? You mm -hmm. know, I, I can only pour into my kids so much. Like yeah. there's, I know there's broken homes and broken families and, and kids that don't have this, you know, and that, 
what I was able to give them was an extreme luxury, you know, for our family and to to step back. And, um, you know, Ben was so supportive, I think, through all of that as well. Um, and it it was important. But I remember seeing a post around that time for CASA advocates looking for mm-hmm. volunteers. And um, I had worked with someone previously who was on the CASA Williamson County Board. So I knew a little bit about what it was, but I didn't really know. Um, so it's an acronym that stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. So what CASA volunteers do, are they really, um, you know, are in the children's lives and people um, that or children that have been or in state custody due to um, child neglect and abuse. And so, uh, again, a very hard place to to want to be. Yeah, the happiest place on earth. Right. You know, if anyone's in this system, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I, I don't know. I just, again, was kind of praying about it. I went to the interview and did the training and... I felt like, again, I just, I needed to do more. I don't think, you know, in your study, like, God ever tells us to sit and be comfortable, you know? I wish. Yeah. And so I was starting to feel real comfortable where I was and like, oh, look at all, you know, I've got blessings on blessings. (laughs) And so anyway, I was sitting in a place where I was starting to feel comfortable. And so I, once I was sworn in, received my first case. I think when I when I started, I thought, you know, I'm going to do this for the for the children, but it was so much more, you know, it's the families, it's the foster families, it's the grandparents that are stepping in to be parents. It's you know, working alongside DCS workers and just it I it was a hard place to be in, but there was so much love, you know, and people trying, like people really trying. And so it was intimidating because I find I found it really hard to be relatable with mm-hmm. with some of the families. And so, you know, here I was. I didn't know what it was like to be a single mom, you know, dealing with a daily addiction or yeah. you know, being working job to job or just keeping a job you know it was it was very intimidating for me so stepping into that I thought well what help am I going to offer you know and I think I learned pretty quickly that again listening is important and just showing up I mean being a familiar face being someone that would sit and wait for three hours outside of a courtroom with somebody and so I think I learned that while my impact maybe wasn't as big as I wished it could have been in some of those situations, you know, I couldn't couldn't fix everything. Yeah. Um, I had to just remember, you know, these are God's children first. Yeah. And there are these people around. And so we're all here. We're working for the same thing. You know, and you had to have hope in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still it was still difficult, very difficult. That work is a really tough work um, Mm -hmm. because you find out just how a lot of people live that you don't ever see. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you see the 
effects of addiction or mental health issues or even just plain old-fashioned bad choices and who's paying the price. Yeah. You know, a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. There's no world where you want to sit by while that's going on. Right. Yeah. But I think that, you know, in being new to Dixon County during that time, too, it just, there's so much love in this community. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I can't even begin to tell you all of the people from the recovery centers that would be in the court. I mean, you weren't a lot waiting in a courtroom. Yes, you do. That long um, for cases to be heard. And just the people that, like I said, just continued to show up and support and you know, I, I found there were just small things that you could help with. Like, you know, a mom going through that struggle is not going to know when soccer signups are. Right. You know, or know how to kind of navigate things as easily or be aware of things like you yeah. take for granted. So there was a lot of that, too. And so I did that for a while. Um, and then my daughter finished up kindergarten she was getting ready to start first grade and so you know restrictions were kind of lifted and at that point we did want for her a more traditional school experience like we had had um and just for the socialization aspect of it so we enrolled her in school and then my littlest had started preschool and then I went back to work so how has that transition been it's been it actually, I eased into it because I knew um, I didn't want to take on too much and kind of get in a place where before I left, you know, yeah. kind of being burnt out. So I'm fully remote. So, you know, I can be there to get the kids from school. Cool. If somebody's sick, you know, I'm there. And so I feel like that's really important. But it's been it's you know, I have to put on the brakes sometimes, which is hard. And yeah. I have to say no, which is which is hard. But yeah. Um, I, I do know, and I can realize when I start to fall back into bad habits. You know, one of the things that you talked about that I think is maybe one of the most important things is how, um, how easy it was for your identity to get tied up in your career. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's a thing that I think happens every day of the week. Uh, but not even just the career thing. I think there are a lot of people who their identity, if it doesn't get tied up in career, becomes their identity as a parent mm-hmm. or their identity as the boyfriend yeah, or the athlete or whatever. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I want to scream from the rooftops in ministry is if your identity is in something besides your value in Christ, you are setting yourself up to fail because anything mm-hmm. else will change. Everything else will end. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I think when you say that lesson, you know, from the pulpit or in a, a Bible class at church, people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but until you have those moments where your identity gets taken from you, mm-hmm. uh, you don't understand that. No. Uh, yeah, and again, it's it. You don't see it as a bad thing, right? Yeah. You're working. Hard, I'm a hard providing. worker. I'm a good mom. I'm a good, right. you know. But it can be too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we've talked all this time, and yeah. you're not even gonna like tell any stories about being Miss Ohio. Like, that's, <laughs> I mean, that, like, it's a blip, you know, like, it it was cool, but I, I also, I mean, not to, like, talk about the dark side, I think during that time was the start of Facebook, and mm. so, you know, it was kind of everything was splashed out there, and then there were mean comments, and so I developed a lot of this, just a lot of 
body image issues mm. from that time. So yeah. while it, you know, it, it, there are great aspects to it. Yeah. But I don't know that, you know, if my daughters came and said, hey, I want to do it. I don't know that I would be promoting it. I would have a hard time being excited about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, I get weirded out by the fairest to the fair thing. <laughs> I mean, when you get oh, that. Oh, I don't know what that is. They they have a pageant at the, the county fair here. Uh-huh. And they put pictures of all of the kids in the newspaper that week. Oh, okay. Um, and Leslie tells me I'm a horrible person, but... <laughs> The first time I got a copy of the newspaper that week, and they have it for all ages. So it's from the yeah. the babies through the whatever the adult version is. Okay. Uh, they have a special needs thing, which I think that's kind of beautiful yeah. in its own way. Yeah. But um, I refer to them as the pedophile pages. Oh. <laughs> because it just feels yeah. very weird. To, like It feels yeah. – uh, I'm not – look, it, people have their hobbies, whatever. I'm not like mm-hmm. railing against pageants. Yeah. It just feels um, – we have a world that's so full of superficial and beauty. Yeah. It's hard for me to want to push more of that. Right. But I do want to appreciate the gifts God has given people. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to shut that <laughs> well, door, anyway, but I don't want to. Like, anything where you're sitting there and judging someone and yeah. putting a score to, like, I ju- that's what I. Especially when with. some of the things are inherent to a person. Mm-hmm. They're not behaviors, they're not choice. Exactly. You know, if you got up there and they were judging you on your ability to, to score the grants. Yeah, and to teach the kids, they do that too. You know, yeah, I'd be a lot more on board. But but when it's yeah. and maybe this is just my uh, uh, my warped perspective as an ugly guy. You know, I don't know. But um, I, I imagine that I cannot imagine what yeah. it was like to have to read the comments about yourself on Facebook. Yeah, it was tough. It makes me person. angry, and it's not yeah. my story. You know. Yeah, it was, and I just I feel for kids now. You know, I don't even feel old enough to like call them kids, but <laughs> that feels weird. But I do. It's just, I don't know. It, so, I mean, there were, I will say, I was sort of, I don't want to say I was terrified of public speaking, but I will say there were benefits to it, you yeah. know, just getting up in front of people. Um, you know, speaking or interviewing, you know, there's a lot of interviewing and a lot of one-on-one conversation that helped me later on in life. Um, but I would say for the most part, you know, take it or leave it. Do you have any good miscongeniality jokes or? <laughs> Not really. Okay. Well, I just, um, <laughs> you know, one of the stories that I've told a few times, um, when I was in middle school, one of my friends was a cheerleader. Okay. And, uh, there was a little kid at church, probably a six or seven year old. He, my wallet was sitting next to me on the bus of a church trip. And there, her picture was in there. She'd give me that, that picture. Oh, I was kind wow. of proud of that. Yeah. And the kid said, who's that? And one of the one of the high school kids sitting next to me said, that's his girlfriend. And the little six-year-old just started laughing and said, that's <laughs> not true. <laughs> so there's, there, there's my backstory on okay. the, the, this one. <laughs> my, uh, my sixth grade shame. So, you know, it's amazing, that's though, the... The cool ways that God prepares us to do neat things and yeah. use us in different paths and uh, just, you know, you talked about a lot of people who made a difference. You talked mm-hmm. about your mother-in-law. You talked about mm-hmm. your grandmother, your parents, your neighbors, your community, yeah. um, these Bible study groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were griping about the COVID era, but were it not for the COVID era, you wouldn't have had the Zoom Bible study. Right. Like. Yeah. God knows what he's doing. I wouldn't have, maybe I wouldn't have stayed home. 
yeah. my kids, you know? Maybe I wouldn't have had that time. Yeah. That decision may have been harder. I bet it would have. Mm-hmm. I bet it would have. Well, this was cool. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything else you'd like to share today? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have survived All right. another Ooh. Rough Drafts podcast. Friends, uh, thank you so much for listening today. I hope that if you're willing to, you'll share this with a friend um, and maybe... Uh, Maybe go say something nice to somebody on Facebook today. Maybe that's maybe that's a <laughs> takeaway. <we> that's <laughs> like that's the plan. Until uh, next time, I can't wait to hear what God does in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories. <laughs>